So according to the National Association of Professional Organizers, NAPO, <laughs> let me say that again. According to the National Association of Professional Organizers, Yes, there's a whole group of people dedicating to helping Americans evaluate, make decisions, and take action around object space and data in their lives. They help clients to achieve desired outcomes around function, order, and clarity. Now that you know that, let's go back. According to NAPO, <laughs> we spend at least one year of our lives looking for stuff. That sounds about right. I felt like we spent hours and hours looking for a fan last week that Liv's roommate needed at college because we put it away so well that we can't find it. Now it's probably because all of us hold on to so many things and because we're so busy and we like our stuff and we don't always know how to get rid of it that there's a whole industry to help guide us. And just in case that's too formal or daunting for you, just Google what to throw away and what to keep, and thousands of websites and books and articles and life hacks on decluttering will come up. There are countless experts who want to help you toss and get rid of things that you don't need. There are also methods like the KonMari, which emphasizes everything having a proper place and keeping only those things that spark joy. There's the 2020 method, which says that you should consider letting go of an item if you can replace it for less than 20 bucks and in less than 20 minutes. Or the four box method, where you use, yes, four boxes. Trash, donate, keep, relocate. Experts say find a way that works best for you and your season of life. None are foolproof. And I just want to say that it gets more complicated when the person you live with has a different way of dealing with stuff than you do. <laughs> it's a sermon for another day. All right. In the brief passage before us, Peter is telling us simply what we should get rid of and what we should keep in our lives. Like the physical places we live, our souls can get bogged down with the unnecessary, the unneeded, the unwanted practices that are at odds with how God wants to fill us. Let's remember from the sermon that Pastor Rose preached last week, because that word flows directly into the one today, that Peter has been emphasizing what it means for the church to be holy, because God is holy. We were reminded from the end of chapter 1 about how being a Christian is to trust Jesus, even when life doesn't turn out as we want or as we expect. Through the scripture, we're going to focus on two ideas. How Peter is telling us to rid ourselves of what is not helpful and how he tells us to long for the pure goodness of the Lord. So 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. So before we talk about the two ideas here, let's also remember something important, which this passage also brings out, how life with God is both what we do 
and what the Holy Spirit does in us. Paul tells the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, we're familiar with those words. Do you know what happens right after those words? Right after Paul exhorts the church? You know what he says? Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Work out your salvation and stop being a jerk. That's the CHB translation. You can't find it online. You can only get it here. In scripture, there's always the dual idea of God transforming us, but then also us changing the behaviors that he tells us to. Salvation is not something that's passively done to us, and it's not something that we earn. And God knows. God knows how we're wired and how we want things to be all or nothing because that's easier. So can you just make it that I do everything or you do everything? How much easier it, that would be? And God's like, nope. It's more complex than that. It's more messy than that, as Pastor Nikki is wanting us to think about this year. God designed us so that we would simultaneously allow the Spirit to work in us while we follow Jesus, while we obey. What does that look like? Well, lots of different things, but today it looks like two things that Peter is going to talk to us about with his expert advice. Peter tells us what to get rid of and what to utilize and what God has provided for our souls. So first, Peter tells us to clean up our act by getting rid of certain behaviors that pollute our souls. Malice, guile, insincerity, envy, and slander. He's saying, lose these things. Get rid of them. The Greek actually says, put them aside. Put them aside, not in the keep box, but in the trash box. And as we look at the list, let's again remember what Pastor Rose talked about last week when she pointed out how Peter says, we purify our souls by obedience to the truth. That's what Peter says in chapter 1. And do you remember what comes next? Hmm. So that we will have genuine mutual affection, loving one another deeply from the heart. Living in obedience to God's truth means that we are committed to treating our neighbor as Jesus commands us to. Living in obedience to God's truth means we rid ourselves of the ugliness that stains our souls, that causes friction with others, and is wrong before the Lord. So let's break down what each of these characteristics are. Malice, ooh, that's small. Malice, that's my fault. Malice is hatred for another. Guile means to be cunning or deceptive. Insincerity is to be hypocritical or pretentious, not your real self. Envy is to be resentful or jealous of what someone else has. And slander is to make damaging statements about another person. So let's just stop here for a second. Is there anything on that list that's currently cluttering your soul? 
Peter's audience is facing hostility. They're facing persecution for their faith. In that situation, we might think, well, yeah, it might be easy to have these kinds of negative attitudes. And Peter's reminding them, don't do it. Don't give in. Don't be like the world around you. But we know that we don't have to face hardship in order to have these things in our lives. Peter knows that too. We're more than capable of these even in the best situations. The unspoken implication here is to be like Jesus, whose humility and grace and love was apparent even as the reality of death started to weigh on him more and more. So Peter's saying, be honest, be loving, be transparent, be grateful for what you have, because that gets manifested in your attitudes and also how you treat one another. As we said, the word for rid yourself here is to put aside. It's the same word as stripping off one's clothes. Putting off those vices is like shedding garments, stained garments. Like my plumber friend who came home this week when I was visiting their house with all manner of stuff on his uniform. His wife had just cleaned the sofa. And while we were talking, he was kind of like leaning against it. And she was like, no, 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 no. Don't lean up against that couch. And he was like, what? Probably a game they play. What? And that made me think about this passage. When things are pointed out to us, malice, what? Slander, gossip. What? Huh. But what happens if we don't switch out those dirty clothes? We bring dirt, and probably worse, wherever we go. Maybe then people look at us and they think, mm, they kind of smell a little off. And then we think, oh. Mm. Think about when someone has said something to us that has stayed with us, that was malicious or hurtful or gossipy. And we think about that even still, to this day, even if it was years and years ago. And if we have forgiven, we still think about it. Those things stain. They stay with us. Because what comes out from inside of us sticks for a while, long after the interaction's over. This is why a lot of people in the early church went into baptism with nothing on at all. They took off their old clothes as a symbol of shedding off their former lives, shedding off what Christ had forgiven them for, so that when they came out of the water, they put on fresh clothes to demonstrate their new life. Now, the Bible has a different list of virtues that we want to clothe ourselves with, don't they? In Romans 13 and Galatians, Paul says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 exhorts us to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness. Colossians 3 tells us to put on a new self being renewed in the image of our creator. I want to read Colossians 3 because it's so beautiful. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitudes in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Although we're human and we know that we are both sacred and sinful, we don't simply accept and keep the sinful part, allowing it to take hold, wearing it like clothes that we aren't meant to have anymore. Peter says, work, work at getting rid of those things with God as your helper. Amen. The second part... Oh, what? There we go. The second part, I haven't done this for a while. Keep, yeah, I know. The second part, Peter is telling us to get more of, comes in the form of an interesting picture that Peter gives us of newborn infants. Now, this is a metaphor, of course, a comparison between two things that are otherwise not related, an implied comparison. Jesus employed this quite a bit. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. I am the bread of life. You are salt. But the be like metaphor is something that we see quite a lot right now in popular culture, like this. Be like a sunflower, it says. Bright, sunny, positive. Spread seeds of happiness. Stand tall and always turn to the light. We sing about sunflowers this morning. Be like a postage stamp. Stick to one thing until you get there. That's a theology. Be like a duck, calm on the surface, but always paddling like the dickens underneath. Now there are other ones, of course. Be like a mermaid, be like a tree, be like a diamond. You can see them all. But this is what I hear Peter saying. Be like a newborn, precious. Created in the image of God, utterly dependent, destined to grow, craving pure spiritual milk. Be like a newborn, untainted by the ways of the world, focused, focused on getting more of God's goodness. And a few other places in the Bible, this metaphor is used to tell the church, this metaphor of being a newborn is, is to tell the church, grow up, stop being a baby, stop drinking milk, eat meat. That's not this metaphor. <laughs> Peter is affirming the desire of infants and hope that those who read his words will have the same desire for spiritual things that newborns have for milk. Now, most scholars interpret milk to be the word of God. The Greek here is reasonable, which is logicon, translated as logos, word. Reasonable, pure milk. Peter wants them to have the same longings for unadulterated milk they are created to have. That's how infants grow, and that's how Christians grow. Peter wants believers to yearn for God's word, the only sustenance that God can give. Oops, keep doing that. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. A few weeks ago, we noticed how Peter has 
commended the word of the Lord and how each generation has been given God's enduring, living, good news. That's an incredible truth that Peter is giving us here, that the Lord who gives us new life, the Lord who gives us new birth, is also the Lord who grows us by the same word. We are born again because of the word, and we are grown up into Jesus because of the same word. It's passive. Jesus is the one who grows us up. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Apollos watered, I planted, but it is God who brings the growth. So Peter indicates here that our desire for the word of God comes about because we know the taste. Taste taste that the Lord is good. We know how good and nourishing it is. We recognize it when we have it. We recognize the word. We recognize what is not the word. And we know, and I was thinking about how savvy businesses and manufacturers are and how they spend ludicrous amounts of money to keep the taste of food and beverages the same over generations so that consumers will keep buying their products. I was a senior in high school in 1995 when Coke changed their formula with the idea of appealing to a younger generation and it spectacularly failed. As part of that younger demographic, I hated it. You know why? Because when I was 10, my grandmother gave me classic Coke. When I would go see her, and we didn't have that stuff in my house. It was a treat, and then it was taken away. And I was like, what is this nastiness? And today, even today, when I taste classic Coke, I am on her back porch reading in the summertime. Now, the interesting thing is that Coke, the company, didn't make a quick decision unsupported by data. They had performed close to 200,000 blind taste tests on consumers, and everyone was like, oh yeah, that tastes great. But they underestimated the emotional attachment loyal drinkers had to the brand. And in addition to losing $4 million in research and marketing, they lost $30 million in unsold inventory. So we stop and we think, praise God that your word never, ever changes. That there isn't going to be a time that God is going to update it or make it better because God's truth is the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the word of the Lord endures forever. And Peter isn't saying, have a love of scripture for scripture's sake. He's saying we should have a love of scripture because then we get a taste of God. Reading and spending time and meditating on scripture is about being with the Lord and being fed by him. It should be familiar and consistent all of our lives until we see God's face. Again, last week, Pastor Rose said, true spirituality is not just an experience. It's not a technique. It is a relationship of obedience and trust to the one and only living God. Newborns are shaped by the milk that they are fed, and all of us are being shaped by something. We always want to be mindful of what is currently forming our souls. We find our greatest sustenance in the Lord. There's a beautiful quote on the front of your bulletin by poet and author Jackie Hill Perry that says this, we are endlessly in need of God, and what a wonderful thing that is for he is full of all that we need, moment by moment, forever and ever. Sometimes it's easier for us 
to get rid of our physical stuff than the attributes we hold on to. Can I get an amen about that? Yeah. Organizational experts tell us that often it is our emotional attachment to our belongings, the relationship that we have with our stuff that impacts ultimately what we do with them. If we're being honest, we might say that the negative attributes and behaviors that we have work for us. We hold on to them because it reminds us of someone who hurt us or it reminds us that life isn't safe or it reminds us that sometimes we have to survive. And we've learned how to live with hate and envy or gossip in a way that has taken residence in our souls. But those things hurt us. And they crowd out how God wants to dwell in that space. And sometimes we need outside organizational gurus to tell us how to deal with our stuff. And sometimes we need the Spirit of God to tell us very clearly, get rid of that now. That's not working for you. And it is not honoring to the Lord who made you. When we give to the Lord what is harmful to us and others, we're so much lighter. We're so much freer. Like Travis and Jake were singing, hello light, hello joy, hello love. It's a different day. We don't have to live in those things that bind us anymore. Because however much we think that we're holding on to those things, those things are holding on to us. So while these verses are a larger part of the whole, there is a relationship between what we rid ourselves of and what we long to have. What we do with our bitterness does keep us from growing into the salvation that God wants and longs for us to have, the salvation that he wants us to fully know, especially when we hoard these other things. Peter says, rid yourself of these ugliness and fill yourselves with the pure, unadulterated word of God. We choose what we keep wearing. We choose the negativity that we carry around with us, what we take into our souls. When God's people fill their longings with his very presence, he gives so much more. So this morning, I encourage you, if there is malice or envy or slander, if there's insincerity in your life, I encourage you to allow the Spirit of God to help you leave it here. Leave it at the altar. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Leave it and allow God to fill you with his truth. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.